The MLB owners have instituted a lockout effective 12.01 a.m. Wednesday morning. We're going to talk about the biggest problem that the owners and players must overcome on today's podcast and also trying to interrupt all of this speculative disdain with a look back at one of the greatest Reds ever in Frank Robinson. And I'm going to tell you why I think he is the greatest Red ever. That's all coming up on today's Locked On Reds podcast. Let's get going. You are Locked On Reds, your daily Cincinnati Reds podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Thank you for finding today's Locked On Reds podcast and making us your hashtag first listen of the day. We're free and available wherever you get your podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Carr. Thank you so much for joining me. I'm the super fan and addict of the Cincinnati Reds who's turned his addiction into information for you today. We're audio only, having a little bit of uh, network connectivity problems. Shout out to all those Parks and Rex fans out there. But uh, yeah, today we're going to talk about this lockout. Going to tell you about the biggest picture item, the thing that is the biggest issue for the owners and the players to get over. No, it's not one of the little details. It is an overarching thing that they've got to figure out. Plus, we're going to talk about Frank Robinson later on because let's face it, a uh, 20-minute podcast about nothing but lockout stuff needs a little bit of fun. And so for this Thursday, let's uh, throw it back a little bit to the best red in the history of the franchise. That's all coming up on today's Lockdown Reds podcast. Make sure that you're following me right here on your favorite podcasting app. You can also subscribe to the YouTube channel, which will be back on tomorrow. All right, let's talk about this. And and before we get into the meat of this real quick, I wanted to point out a story that in case you had missed it, it came out a couple of days ago that during this past season, major league baseball actually used two different configurations of the baseball this past year. And it was found out after the fact It was found out by some players who really, they started speculating and actually Sean Doolittle, former red was one of those players who kind of was like, Hey, what's going on here? What, what, what's happening? This feels like some, some different uh, results are happening on different days and the baseball just is not, not playing the same way. Well, a uh, pitcher, not Sean Doolittle, but a different pitcher who chose to be unnamed helped out Meredith Wills in a study on fan graphs where she indeed proved that Major League Baseball had a varying number. It was two specific kinds of configurations that the baseball had this past season, and Major League Baseball responded to that by saying COVID-19 messed up their uh, supply chain stuff, and because of COVID, they had to revert back to some of the older configurations of the baseball from like 2019 and 2020 whenever home run totals were going through the roof. So there were some games where the deadened baseball was being used, and there were other games where the live ball, the, the one that was just flying out of ballparks a couple of years ago, was the one that was actually being used and nobody could tell exactly when or when or where they were being used. It's just a mixture because of supply chain issues. The problem was nobody knew about this until after the fact. So there's lots of questions that are being raised from that. And the biggest question is what has led me to the overarching big picture thing that the owners and the players 
have to figure out. The biggest thing that's impacting CBA negotiations is a simple word. Transparency. The owners aren't being transparent with the players. The owners have done this thing over the last, well, pretty much since the last iteration of the CBA was ratified in 2017, where they manipulate service time, where they crack down on sticky stuff without a notice really for the players, where they make rule changes that sure, yeah, they had a rules committee that they talked about it, but the rule changes were kind of weird. And where they decide that they just have multiple different configurations of baseballs that they will use in a given year and not tell anybody about it. That's a huge issue. Whatever you might talk about, whether it's the economics of the game, whether it's revenue sharing between teams, whether it's the salary floor for each team, whether it's service time manipulation, whatever it is, transparency is behind everything. And it is what is killing this sport. It is what is causing different fans to look at baseball in a different light. How many of you started loving baseball because of the business of the game? Let the record show nobody's raising their hands. I'm not raising my hand, that's for sure. I love the idea of getting doubles and getting triples and getting homers and singles and strikeouts and walks and, and the strategy that goes behind each game, the, the different fielding plays that you can do, the double play when you're trying to defend a squeeze play, when you have to jump over, you know, jump on top of a wall to catch a home run. Love all that stuff. I love it when an outfielder tries to get an assist on a fly ball and throws out a guy at home plate. I don't care about this CBA stuff. In the long run, I just want baseball. And we're going to talk about details throughout this entire process and, and how the game can be improved by tweaking this detail in this way. But if the owners and the players don't understand that transparency has to be achieved and some sort of mutual respect amongst the communication between owners and players, if they don't reach that, they can forget about a new CBA. They can forget about something where both sides feel as though they've won. I talked about it yesterday on the podcast that players are buckling down for a war. They brought in Bruce Meyer, an attorney who's not going to care how much you think he sounds like a douchebag. He's going to get what the players want. He's going to help them negotiate a fair deal. They are ready to fight because they feel as though these last couple of deals they've been duped on. The reason for that is transparency. The owners have figured out how to slide things in under the gun, how to sneak things in here and there, and how to work within the loopholes of a system that I think we can all agree is broken. How they fix that, the details is something that they've got to make sure they get the transparency thing right. They're just treating, it's like a doctor who only treats the symptom and not the root cause of a patient's problem. The root cause of all of this is not a absence of a salary cap. It's not the absence uh, or it's not the overflow of revenue sharing or things like that. It's transparency and they got to get that right. All right. Coming up, I want to talk about the difference here between this work stoppage 
And the last work stoppage from 94-95. That's coming up in just a minute. Before we talk about that, I want to tell you about BetOnline.ag. BetOnline.ag is the only online sportsbook that I trust, and you should too. When you're looking to make some cash off your sports knowledge, you can do no better than BetOnline.ag. They've got a brand new interface for basketball season that is just now up. If you check them out on their desktop or mobile website, You'll see all the great prop bets and lines and money lines, over-unders, everything that they've got for basketball, for football, as football is heading into the playoff stretch. We're getting into the nitty-gritty in the NFL, and you've got conference championship games coming up for NCAA football this weekend. Shout out to the Bearcats that are going to be wearing all red as they go up against the Houston Cougars at Nippert Stadium on Saturday afternoon. But you can get in on the action at betonline.ag. Go there and set up your profile with the promo code locked on to get a 50% welcome bonus. You will get a lot of money to build your bankroll just by using the promo code locked on. That's betonline.ag, where the game starts. All right, so the difference here, something that, you know, and by the way, thanks for making Lockdown Reds your hashtag first listen of the day. We're free and available wherever you get your podcast. And on tomorrow's podcast, we'll kind of break down the press conference that Rob Manfred had to announce the lockout. We're going to look at some things that he said and kind of dissect them. And I will also take your questions and comments, reactions, and everything that you've got for a new segment that we're going to create starting tomorrow Fan Friday. It's going to be a segment where we talk about some stuff and I will get to mailbag stuff. It's not been a thing that I've uh, been super reliable about getting to. So we'll make sure and do that now from now on for a segment on Friday's show. All right. So talked about the big issue that the owners and the players have to get over for the CBA to actually happen for them to actually renew it or come up with a new one or whatever the correct term is there. But let's look at what the key difference is in this work stoppage and the last work stoppage. The thing that everybody's talking about, oh, Major League Baseball has had such a wonderful term of labor peace. So many years in a row of no strife at all. Well, under the surface, people were not happy. It's just they were making deals and, you know. They were continuing the games to be played. The last time there was a work stoppage, there were games that actually got canceled. You remember that the playoffs got canceled in 1994. Many Reds fans still feel like the Reds had a really good shot to win the World Series in 1994, but we'll never know because it didn't happen. And then 1995 got shortened as well because of the strike back then. A lockout is not a strike. That's the key difference here. It's instituted by the owners. And that's why if you try to go to MLB.com and you look at like reds.com and you look at the roster, you'll see names, but you won't see pictures and you won't see story, new stories pertaining to transactions or things like that. There aren't any transactions that are happening right now, but they've even removed things. If you try to go on like the at bat app, and see what the most recent stories were about, you know, maybe the Reds non-tendering Brandon Bailey or something like that, or the Reds uh, giving up Wade Miley to the Cubs. It's not there. They only have news pertaining to the CBA and the lockout currently shown. It's kind of weird. Like, I think I get it from some sort of weird labor aspect, but kind of seems junior high to me. Like, not having players' pictures on there, what's they going to do? Like, you're, I, I don't know. 
This is like whenever they had the NCAA football game back on, you know, like PlayStation and Xbox and things like that. They didn't have the rights to actually use guys' names or pictures or likenesses, but you still had players who were pretty much that same guy. Anyway, whatever. It's it's weird to me. But because players are only paid during the season, there, there's not a strike right now. It's not as if there's anything for the players to strike from. They're not working. So that's why it's a lockout. And they're saying that the lockout is being used to expedite, to put pressure on the negotiations to happen quicker. I don't really know why they think that that's going to be the case because it sounds like the players are ready for the long haul. This is not something that surprised the players. And if uh, you see any interviews from players like Max Scherzer or something like that, talking about this lockout, they're like, yeah, you know, we were prepared for this. We're ready for this. That's not going to scare them, but the lockout makes it seem as though the owners had to do this. They didn't. This was a choice. This was the owners deciding to institute the lockout. This was not brought on by the players. They did not force the owner's hand. This is a tactic, a choice, a sort of card that the owners can play out of their hand to see if they can do this. And if you read the letter, if you saw the letter from Rod Manfred talking about the lockout, it makes it sound as if the players are the only unreasonable party in this whole thing. But there's two sides to every coin. And when you look at some of the players' demands, maybe they are a little bit over your head, but for the most part, when you look at what the players want out of this new CBA negotiation and what the owners want out of this new CBA negotiation, there's plenty of ways to look at it from all sides of an argument that says, well, this side's weird, this side's weird, this guy's a little bit unreasonable, that side's a little bit unreasonable, whatever. There's not one side that looks good. In this, we're not talking about good versus evil here. It's not like the owners are the Avengers and the players are Thanos and all the people that were with Thanos or something, you know, the Legion of Doom, whatever. This isn't that. There's lots of different ways to look at this whole CBA negotiation thing. And because of that, I wanted to notate the difference here. The lockout is instituted by the owners and strikes are started by players. This isn't something that the players forced the owners to do, and we can debate the effectiveness of a lockout. I don't think, and I've mentioned this before, I don't think any one side wants there to be a delay in the season. They understand their tenuous position in the the field that is professional sports in America. They understand that when people are talking about the big stories in the NFL and the big stories in the NBA, almost year round, those get played even more so than big stories in major league baseball, even during the season. I I find it hard pressed for you to tell me that during the regular season of major league baseball, there were more people who cared about that than there were who cared about a certain transaction, like a big name player getting signed in the NBA or a big-name player getting signed in the NFL, or a big trade, or something like that. If that happens during the month of April, pretty much after opening day, more people are tuning in to see that than they are to see the highlights for the most recent Major League Baseball game. And that's because baseball has damaged its own reputation. They're very good at shooting themselves in the foot. And I'm looking at... All parties involved here. I'm not saying that the owners or the players are better at doing this than the other. They are both good at shooting themselves in the foot. And that's making it almost sounds as if it's accidental. 
No, by shooting themselves in the foot. I mean, they are good at taking the gun, holding it firmly, aiming at their own foot and shooting and pulling the trigger and shooting. That's, that's what they've done with all of this. So they cannot force a delay. I think both sides understand this, but both sides are willing to do this. And that's why they think that a lockout's going to avoid that in some way. I don't know. We'll see. This, this can be a very hairy negotiation, and it all stems back to what I said. They've got to gain some sort of transparency in this process with each other or else they're not going to come to the mutual agreement that they want to have. All right, let's let's put all this aside for a minute. Let's forget about this nonsense, and let's think about something awesome. Someone awesome. Frank Robinson. Before I talk about Frank Robinson, though, make sure that you are subscribed to the podcast right here on your favorite app or on the YouTube page. Like I said earlier, no YouTube episode today. This is all just audio only. We'll be back on YouTube tomorrow. A little bit of network connectivity problems. Um, we'll uh, get those sorted out for you. All right, let's talk about some of the fun. Let's talk about Frank Robinson, who I, I think I'm on the group of people you know, there's, there's plenty of arguments out there as to who the best red is. I think it's Frank Robinson. And part of that is, so he was a red for 10 years. What he did in 10 years is better than what Joey Votto's done in 15. What he did in 10 years is better than what Pete Rose did in a million. Frank Robinson put together numbers that were just altogether insane. From the time that he was called up as a rookie, when he was 20 years old, and he came up and he had 38 home runs, his first year in the league, dude clubs 38. Like, that's not a typo. That's not me reading numbers wrong. I do that sometimes. I understand this. I'm not the most perfect person in the world, especially when it comes to numbers. But dude hit 38 home runs his rookie year. That is something that if he were to have done that now, I think he probably would have won MVP, let alone rookie of the year. But for his entire 10 years, 10 year, his 10 year tenure, boy, that's hard to say. As a Cincinnati Red, he had an OPS plus of 150. 100 is average. He was 50% better than an average hitter for 10 whole years. And, and you can look at like things like his batting average and how it kind of fluctuated. And back then, batting average was a key statistic to understanding how good a baseball player was. So you look at 1957 when he hit 322, and then we're confused in 1958 when he only hit 269. The thing about Frank Robinson was in his 10 years as a Cincinnati Red, there was only one season where he had a slugging percentage of less than 500. And that just so happens to be the only, okay, there's, there was one other season where he had less games, but there was only one season where he had 140 games played or less other than 1963, 1963, he had 140 games played 1960. He had 139 games played, but the only year that he had a slugging percentage of less than 500 was 1963. And he still slugged 442. He still had an OPS of 821. Numbers, I know, but that's just how good he was. And he was so aggressive. You read about him in the past, which I had to do because I didn't get to see him. You know, his last year's red was 1965. 
And for anybody that got the chance to watch him play in person, I am super jealous of you, but know that he stopped being a red about 20 years before I was born. So that's why I didn't get a chance to see him. I'm not. Yeah. I, I don't, I wish I had a time machine. I'd go back and I'd watch him and Veda Penson play as much as I possibly could. But looking back on his career, he was just so phenomenal. And, and even in 1962, when he led the majors in slugging percentage, it's 624. 624 for a 100 and he played every single game that season. And he slugged 624. And he didn't even hit 40 home runs. He had 39 home runs. He had 51 doubles that year. 208 hits total. He was absolutely phenomenal at everything that he did. He played so hard when you read about him, like talking about how he would try to break up double plays by, you know, cleaning people, which nowadays we we look down our nose at people that try to do that. You play the game hard. He actually got into a fight with Eddie Matthews because of that. That's kind of funny to look back on and think about Hall of Famers that got into fights because one was playing a really hard game. He he was phenomenal at the hustle, and, and they they have articles that said whenever he went over to Baltimore and they had Brooks Robinson and they had a pretty solid team already, did the Orioles. But then when Frank Robinson came, they, they found their missing link. He was the guy that obviously you, you get the triple crown in 1966. You're a pretty damn good player. Excuse my language, but you're pretty darn good at baseball. But he was the guy that really brought them all together. And Earl Weaver even said that managing that team. But for his tenure as a Cincinnati red, there was nobody better. Nobody I think was a better red and it, it's, it's unfortunate to know how it ended being, you know, like a, you know, he was quote an old 30, according to Bill DeWitt. And, you know, he always, he found that as motivation, although it never really ate at him. He, he had to deal with a lot too, coming up in his major league career. He did, he dealt with segregation. He dealt with a lot of racism, overt racism as he was coming up through the minor leagues. And he was still as good as he was. It didn't let he didn't let it affect his game. It's just so admirable to see in a player's career like that. And Frank Robinson, for my money, I mean, people like to talk about Joe Morgan, but I still think he was better than Joe Morgan. The numbers kind of bear that out a little bit. There's some numbers you can say that Joe Morgan was better at, but I think overall, Frank Robinson is the best red who ever laced him up, who ever played the game. And I'd be interested to hear your take on that. And that's one thing that I would like to get your reaction for, for tomorrow's fan Friday segment and bring in your questions too. what you think uh, is coming up. I mean, the lockout's going to be an interesting thing to talk about, but even after the lockout, there's probably going to be this mad dash of transactions as teams try to build out their rosters before spring training, whatever spring training is going to look like. And I'll be interested uh, to see what everybody thinks about that for tomorrow's Fan Friday segment. And again, we'll also break down some Rob Manfred press conference footage that I've got for you. That's all coming up on tomorrow's Lockdown Reds, but that's going to do it for us here today. Thanks again for listening to today's Lockdown Reds podcast. Make sure that you're following and subscribed on your favorite app. And now go check out the Lockdown Bets podcast as your boy Q and Lee Sterling has all the information to help you make some cash on your sports knowledge at betonline.ag. That's Lockdown Bets, just like Lockdown Reds, free and available 
wherever you get your podcast. But that'll do it for us here today. It might be the off season and there might be a lockout, but we're locked on Reds every single day.